Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Campbell Newman, former Premier of Queensland and Director of Arcana Capital, Director of Link Sprite Australia, and Chairman of Swant Farm Robotics. It's fantastic to have you along today. I must admit that leading into this interview with Campbell Newman, I had some uh, nervousness. I'd never met him before, and certainly he's a man of strong reputation and uh, somebody who certainly has achieved a lot of things for the state of Queensland and the city of Brisbane during his career. So prior to meeting him, I wasn't really sure, you know, what the conversation would be like. But I must say, I was extremely uh, delighted by Campbell's humbleness and his openness. Uh, It was uh, very refreshing, and I must say that by the time he left the room, I was very impressed and thought that this was a guy that I would enjoy getting to know over the years to come as a business colleague here in Queensland. Before I get on and introduce Campbell to you properly, let me briefly introduce myself for those who are not familiar with me. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. And we recruit CEOs, senior leaders and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy services for C-suite executives and non-executive directors who are actively looking for a new role. So if I can assist you in recruiting into your organization or in helping you to achieve your next role, I'd welcome the opportunity to have a chat with you. Now, let me introduce to you Campbell Newman. Campbell Newman was born in Canberra to parents who both represented Tasmania in federal parliament. He joined the Australian Army as a staff cadet at the Royal Military College in Duntroon in 1981 and spent 13 years in the Army, eventually leaving with an honours degree in civil engineering. At that point, he moved to Queensland, where he completed an MBA from the University of Queensland before becoming a consultant for PA Consulting Group and then working for Grain Co. At that time, Campbell commenced his political career both as Lord Mayor of Brisbane and subsequently as the Premier for Queensland. He has left politics and now has an interesting career in the board space as a director of Arcana Capital, a director of Link Sprite Australia, and a chairman of Swamp Farm Robotics. Campbell lives in Brisbane. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Campbell Newman. Well, Campbell, thank you very much for joining us today on the Arate podcast. It's great to have you along on uh, what is a very beautiful uh, Monday spring morning here in Brisbane. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Perhaps just to begin with, if you could have a talk to us about the things that you're doing professionally at the moment. Well, look, uh, thanks very much for the invitation, Richard. It's a, it's a pleasure to be involved. Um, don't know if there's any pearls of wisdom in what I'll say, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. So uh, post-politics, I suppose, um, um, I had to really think about what I was going to do next. Um, and I particularly wanted to restart a business career. Um, I looked as well at areas that um, I suppose particularly were, in some cases, the future areas, the, mm-hmm. the future economy. And I suppose I, I, I did a bit of reading on what areas um, were, I suppose, the, the, the exciting and, and um, positive growth areas for the future. So I'm now involved in, in probably about three or four different things, I suppose. So the first thing is um, something I'm very excited about is uh, an agricultural mm-hmm. uh, technology startup. In the field of robotics, mm-hmm. and immediately people say to me, "Oh, drones!" Right? No, not drones. Right. In fact, no disrespect to people involved in drones and agriculture, we're sort of drone skeptics in, okay. in the company, which is called Swarm Farm. Mm-hmm. So Swarm Farm has developed um, from their base in Emerald in Central Queensland mm-hmm. um, autonomous robots for undertaking um, 
tasks involved in growing crops. Mm -hmm. So our prototype machines spray weeds. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea is that they work in swarms, hence mm -hmm. the name Swarm Farm. Um, we're going to develop other applications for those things. Uh, and we hope to start manufacturing them and selling them in the 2017 mm -hmm. 18 financial year. So I'm pretty excited about that. Mm. And, and the, the farmer who set it up, Andrew Bate, I mean, he's a visionary and mm -hmm. you know, he's the guy who actually got this going. It mm -hmm. wasn't the technology looking for a solution. It was the farmer went looking for the right technology. Mm -hmm. so and he's in uh, business with his wife. Yeah, he is. So yeah. they are co-founders of the business. Right. Yeah, okay. jo Jossie and Andrew set the business up. Uh -huh. uh, another partner is Neville Crook, who's mm -hmm. a, a farm a business advisor in, mm -hmm. in Emerald, an agronomist. By professionally by training, and then myself as chairman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I went to a uh, uh, workshop run by QUT last year called The uh, Future of Work, and they had the head of robotics, I can't remember which university, I think it might have been from Oxford, uh, talking about particularly robotics used in agriculture, which is a massive thing now. And um, one of the things I thought was interesting was they were showing that in the US, I think in 1900, I can't remember the exact numbers, but about 90% of the population were in some way involved in agriculture. Uh, in 2000, less than 10% were, and yet unemployment in 1900 in the US was about 5%, and unemployment in 2000 was about 5%. So it's interesting that technology, particularly coming into what is becoming such a you know, a critical area um, feeding this massively growing population, you think, well, it's going to displace all of these people who have worked in that space, and yet no doubt they'll be absorbed into other industries. Well, as you say, a lot of uh, the labour has been stripped, in fact, most mm -hmm. of the labour has been stripped out of growing, you know, food, producing mm -hmm. food. Um, and our view is that it's not actually going to impact um particularly on, on employment. Mm -hmm. In fact, there are opportunities for new types of jobs mm. in rural and regional areas. For example, once you've got um, this uh, sort of broad adoption of robotics and agriculture, you'll need people who are you know, very tech savvy, mm. based in places like Emerald and Dubbo and Moree, etc., who will be able to you know, design robots, fix robots, you know, develop new applications for mm -hmm. robots, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's something that we wouldn't have seen before. Mm -hmm. And, of course, with, you know, the broadband network, you can do all those things. Sure. So, I mean, one thing we're excited about is, you know, Swarm Farms headquarters is a place called Gindi. Okay. Which is about 30 kilometres southeast of uh, Emerald. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're running a business which we hope, uh, you know, in the next few years to, to take global yeah um from that location so that's it that's very, interesting. the technology just is just there to be able to do it now right and uh looking at the website i see that they're actively advertising for you know robotics and you know people from those careers to actually you know move to queensland and and you know we talk about queensland being the smart state some time ago you know being the catchphrase i mean this is it in action isn't it well, it is. Um, it's interesting. We've got uh, five uh, employees, yeah, yeah, young people. Mm -hmm. uh, they're mechatronics, you know, robotics engineers. Yeah. And you know, uh, there's a, there's some interesting. Well, the great mm -hmm. some great stories in there. You know, like the, the young man from from down near Wagga. He's come off a farm, but he's mm -hmm. he's sort of been doing work with us. There's uh, the Sri Lankan uh, engineer that we've got who. You know, relocated his his family, mm -hmm. uh, his wife and his little girl to, mm -hmm. to Emerald from right. from inner city Sydney, where he was doing his PhD for one of the unis there. So you know, like he's a new immigrant to Australia, rather sure. than a new immigrant, and there he is making a new life in Emerald, mm -hmm. you know, but in this high technology field. Mm. So yeah, we are we are sort of um, interestingly we're looking for someone at the moment to to actually go out and if you like, run robotic spray operations right. in, in farmers' paddocks. And we actually haven't got any takers at the moment. Well, I know so, a good headhunter. We can uh, yeah, talk about well, that later. Well, <laughs> maybe. <I don't> know. <laughs> okay, so that's one. What's that's one. Uh, what else? Uh, another one is uh, a commercial property investment company. So right. myself and two partners have mm -hmm. set up a company called Arcana Capital. Mm -hmm. And Arcana is their providing opportunities for wholesale investors mm -hmm. to to get a stake in commercial property. So mm -hmm. what we're into particularly is um, uh, retail, uh, big box retail, as they call it, large mm -hmm. format retail, yeah. and industrial, the big mm -hmm. 
serious industrial mm-hmm. sheds and sure. facilities. And the idea is that we, we find suitable assets. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, do a lot of work to find things that really mm-hmm. stack up. Uh, we, we then form a syndicate, a trust, and we invite subscriptions by wholesale investors. We mm-hmm. arrange bank debt on a non-recourse basis. Mm-hmm. And essentially what we deliver to our investors uh, is you know, a, 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 an opportunity to, to be involved in commercial mm-hmm. property, and to what, get significant yields mm-hmm. that you don't get in other areas uh, in terms of investment opportunities. And, and is that uh, Queensland-centric or national? Uh, look, at the moment, all our investments to date have been in Queensland, mm-hmm. uh, in regional Queensland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're certainly looking at assets, for example, in regional New South Wales right now. Okay. So we've we've done four transactions in the last year. We've done about $26 million worth of acquisitions. For example, we bought a $9.7 million uh, industrial facility in Mackay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's generating investors' uh, uh, return on funds of in excess of 12%. Okay, great. Um, at times like this, you know, that's good money. It's good money, and sure. it's uh, the tenant is an, an ASX mm-hmm. um, listed company, mm-hmm. uh, United Group UGL, yes. and uh, you know, with a lease that goes for eight years. Mm-hmm. So, and, and a very busy business, a, a mm-hmm. solid business. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, that's the sort of thing we do. Right, and for people who are unfamiliar, what do you exactly mean by wholesale? Well, under the corporations law. Um, some years ago, they made a decision. The politicians, the policymakers, decided that you know, they would have sort of t- essentially two um, uh, tranches of, of investors. There's the mm-hmm. retail investors, the if I can you know, not to be patronising, but the no. mums and yeah, dads, sure. who uh, then, in terms of the the, 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 the structures and the, mm-hmm. the administration around providing investment services to them, is very complex mm-hmm. and quite onerous mm-hmm. uh, because they are people who are perhaps more vulnerable. Wholesale investors are defined as people who um, have net tangible assets of 2.5 million or more, uh, who've in two successive years earned over $250,000, or a person who can simply write out a cheque for half sure. a million yeah. dollars and mm-hmm. go plonk on right. investing. So you know, you to, to invest in these schemes, you have to be a wholesale investor, mm-hmm. a high, essentially a high net worth individual, capable of Mm-hmm. understanding the risks you know, mm-hmm. uh, in any sort of investment. Mm-hmm. And I understand the attraction to the first business. You come from a agri background, you know, from a family point of view, and your early career was in that space. What was the attraction to working in the, uh, the property space? I've always been interested in property. I did mm-hmm. an MBA in finance. Mm-hmm. In the univer- at the University of Queensland after I'd done my engineering at mm-hmm. the University of New South Wales with the Army. And I for my final year um, project or thesis, mm-hmm. did a whole lot of research into returns in the real estate right. sector, comparing okay. them to the stock market. Mm-hmm. So I did a whole lot of very very detailed first principles analysis using a thing called the capital asset pricing model to, mm-hmm. to, to, to assess the relative performance. It's quite quite interesting sort of um, exercise. And in those days, you had to go and really hunt down the data. You literally mm-hmm. had to pour through, you know, back copies of the newspapers to mm. see what rents were being paid, mm-hmm. what, what the asking price for properties were, what the auction results mm-hmm. were and things like that. So yeah, so I've had an interest in that area. Um, and uh, I guess uh, we enjoy the hunt, yes. all of us. We, yeah. it's, you know, we, we see, we get a pipeline of, of opportunities coming across our desk. Mm-hmm. And um, the more we see, I guess, um, the, more, the more I guess the game is really about finding the, the gems, because there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work that mm. I wouldn't put any investor into. Mm-hmm. Um, but every now and then one comes along that actually is as much as you can in any sort of investment sort of sense um, is, is, is very solid and you know, is going to do the right thing by the investors. And that's what we're about, trying to make sure that our investors get a really good solid return, mm-hmm. um, that uh, the risks are as low as they can be. Um, and, and by the way, we invest in them as well. So mm-hmm. we, we back, we back what we're doing on okay. every occasion. Yeah. And then, uh, and then your third board. Well, there's another company, uh, and this goes back to what I said earlier on about when I first uh, left office as premier. Mm-hmm. I sort of scanned the marketplace, what the big trends were. So one was ag robotics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another one is this space called the Internet of mm-hmm. Things. Right. So a lot of 
business people still scratch their head and go, what what the heck? I read that and yeah. I thought that that was a bit of a throwaway line. So that's an actual yeah, well, description. It's, well, IoT, Internet of Things, is about a, a highly connected world where okay. you know, all the the sort of inanimate objects around us are suddenly are, are, are hooked into the web. For right. example, in, in your home, sensors that monitor the, the temperature mm-hmm. and uh, remotely you can be, be sort of switching on air conditioners. Um, you can be locking doors, unlocking doors, you, mm-hmm. know, you, you know, video surveillance at home. So, for example, you know, you could have your home completely wired up. I mean, people know about sure. this, but yep. you can, you know, someone could deliver a parcel to your door these days and you could be at work and you know and, and it's one of those parcels that has to be delivered mm-hmm. you know, otherwise it's going back to right Aussie pace well you could you can say who is it they can show their ID you mm-hmm. can you can then unlock the door and allow them to put it inside and see that they've um, locked the door after them right. I mean, all that's there okay, now sure. so that's IOT mm-hmm. uh, this little company which is called Linksprite is a group of um, sort of partners who are technologists, geeks like me, mm-hmm. um, signal processing engineer, and we're all passionate about giving kids the opportunity to learn about this stuff at school. So what we've developed with our partners overseas um, who manufacture the stuff is we've developed these kits mm-hmm. uh, to teach kids robotics and coding. So basically we're, we're offering schools the opportunity to, to buy our kit mm-hmm. which has a little um, microcomputer it has servos it has sensors it light emitting diodes and then we have a course a training package that, that goes with that so teachers can well firstly teachers can learn about this stuff mm-hmm. but then the kids can actually in a very practical way build mm. things that really work mm-hmm. so it, it, probably the most interesting thing about it is that it you can you can do it in a very basic way Alternatively, you could literally say to a group of 13, 15-year-olds mm-hmm. at school, you'd say, you know, we want you to create a product, a consumer product using this this, this stuff mm-hmm. that comes in the kit, and, and that's quite feasible. Mm. You know, you can actually literally see a need, see it could be something to, to help people who are disabled mm-hmm. in their homes, mm-hmm. in their life. Uh, it could be uh, something to do with, you know, monitoring your pet and what's mm-hmm. going on. It could be... Um, uh, something for you know better managing the chemicals and balance in your swimming pool. All that can be done with these kits. So mm. they're they're not they're not actually toys. They're mm-hmm. they're, they're very real practical. world, very practical things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And my son, who's just turned nine, I mean, he is excited about learning to code. Uh, he and his mates at school, you know, that's uh, what they're into. So uh, it's amazing to me, you know, thinking back about you know when I was that age and what I was into. Um, Kids are genuinely very excited about this stuff, aren't they? Well, I hope so, because they're going to have to really mm-hmm. be in there. And I guess that's our big message, is mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it, it is it is vital for Australia that, that we really lift our game here. Um, you know, there's just a wave of technological innovation that is going to completely disrupt the job market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think of all the people involved in interstate trucking mm-hmm. right now well is it going to be 10 years is it going to be 20 years would it but maybe a little bit sooner but you know we will see ultimately autonomous trucks absolutely just leaving the southern suburbs mm. say to acacia ridge of mm-hmm. brisbane and driving all the way to, to melbourne um being refueled automatically mm-hmm. you know uh, no human involved in the process at mm-hmm. all that's coming, mm. and or alternatively, you know, they just three D print what they need here in real time. Well, there's all those sorts of yeah, things as yeah. well. All these technologies are going mm-hmm. to take us to to places we can't even imagine. Absolutely, and the best that we can do is make sure that the young people are equipped yeah. to, to live in that world. Mm. Um, pretending that it's going to go away isn't going to work. And, and if I can be a bit, you know, well, a bit pointed today, um, I mean, you know. Uh, Leading political figures get this. Mm-hmm. So my nemesis, the the, the current uh, um, Minister for Education, Kate Jones, mm-hmm. made a very important call last year, which was to say we want coding to be and you know to be be compulsory in Queensland schools. Mm-hmm. Well, frankly, and I've just mentioned the business I'm in. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're saying that the schools are really having difficulty adopting this, mm-hmm. and um, there are all sorts of reactions. There's 
don't want to know about it mm. at all. Uh, we're too busy. Um, there's clearly people who are frightened mm -hmm. in schools and they don't want to, you know, they, they're, just, they're just really worried about whether they can gear up and deal with this. Um, but, the, but the trouble is that every day we lose is a day lost in terms of, you know, kids going through mm -hmm. the system. Mm -hmm. We have to get on mm. onto it. I mean, I'm not saying that to blame any teacher oh, or any sure. principal, but it's, it's like it's, it's a very important initiative that, mm -hmm. that the, the state government announced last year. It has to be implemented, um, and you know, the schools need help, mm -hmm. and um, they also need to be encouraged to, to do to mm -hmm. do this stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, there's a fantastic video on YouTube called "Humans Need Not Apply." Have you seen that? No, it, I it haven't. Runs, it runs, I'll send you a link. It runs for about 15 minutes, and it's uh, really talking about. Um, uh, technology disrupting a lot of you know traditional professions. So, for example, in the legal space, uh, with these supercomputers like Watson and and uh, as uh, legal libraries all start to talk to each other, um, people will go in uh, and they will uh, code in the particulars of a, a case. The computers will be able to immediately analyse all of the precedents and form a very quick and very accurate opinion about whether yeah. a case is. Um, uh, worthy of you know being contested or not, uh, and they they are saying over seventy five percent of lawyers will be out of a job. Um, I mean that's massive. Uh, uh, the medical profession, you know, in terms of being able to do remote diagnostic work through apps and things like that too. So, uh, schools which are very much about educating people that you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer. Uh, suddenly, those professions are no longer going to be seen as exciting and viable and if we don't have alternatives in the way we're educating kids then we're in big trouble yeah i i look i'm seeing it in those terms and um yeah you know, i'm i'm in this space mm -hmm. um and as i said at the very beginning i've sure. decided deliberately to pick some things which i thought were mm. going to be be winners in the future having said that and i'm a yeah you know, i do i do find it quite quite to concerning where yeah. this goes, um, more from a relative thing. You know, it, it's like I look at what's going on in overseas Western countries mm -hmm. um, and, and we really have to get real and mm -hmm. uh, begin to be a bit controversial. We've loaded our schools up with all sorts of social courses, social mm -hmm. what I'd call social engineering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Frankly, we've got to strip all that out of it. If the teachers are saying they don't have enough time, yeah, we've got to we've got to really focus on the things to make kids job ready, mm -hmm. um, because otherwise we're going to let them down in big chunks. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know we could talk for hours about that. Uh, I find you know particularly you know the the talk that's happening now around this concept of zero point singularity. You're, you're familiar yes. with, with that, and uh, I mean there is uh, the big propeller head brains around the world are having some very challenged conversations about what the future looks like in relation to all of this. But um, uh, the purpose of uh, the Arate podcast is really to talk about leadership and talk about um, people who have been able to successfully transition their career in, uh, and to move into very interesting places. And I mean, certainly you're a, you know, a very real and um, uh, dynamic uh, example of somebody who really um, has uh, taken your profession across a number of careers and been extremely successful in them. So I wouldn't mind just going back uh, and talking briefly through that, um, uh, going back to where it all began. I, I read Born in Canberra to parents who are politicians. Perhaps talk a little bit about early life and the sort of choices you made, firstly to get into the military and, and what where things unrolled from there. Okay, well, just very quick snapshot. So my dad was from Sydney, so dad's family from Sydney, mum's mm -hmm. uh, family from Melbourne. Uh, they met because dad was in the army. Mm -hmm. So uh, I then uh, was born in Canberra because he was uh, an instructor at the Royal Military College, mm -hmm. Duntroon, mm -hmm. um, in the 1960s. And we're an army family, moved around all sorts of places around Australia, lived in England for a while, and we ended up in Tasmania. And uh, for a while, I suppose, it looked like it was either go to the farm and do, you know, with the family farm and do either agricultural science or agricultural engineering or join the army to do engineering. Mm -hmm. And 
I joined the army. Mm-hmm. Meantime, my father had been involved in federal politics, so mm-hmm. he was a minister, a junior minister in the Fraser government. And subsequently to that, which is fairly unique, um, uh, Mum went into the Senate mm-hmm. for Tasmania and served in the Howard government mm-hmm. as, a, as a as a cabinet minister. So, just as an aside, what inspired them to to do that, uh, to go down that path of moving into politics? Obviously, that wasn't their career prior to that. Uh, look, I think um, there are a few things there. Um, look. First and foremost, it's to serve the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they wanted to do. Um, and, uh, you know, they wanted to serve particularly the, the Tasmanian community in the northern, in the case of Dad, the northern Tasmanian community. Uh, another thing, frankly, was, you know, the, the Whitlam government, mm-hmm. which was, you know, it's been rewritten today, but it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And that really radicalised a whole lot of people who mm-hmm. felt that they had to be involved. Interestingly, as I've said in the book that Gavin King wrote on me, my mum and dad voted for Gough Whitlam in 1972, Uh but in 1975 um, they were vehemently against him, Mm. you see. So I think it's important sort of background there. But look, the bottom line was they wanted to serve the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens in the US, you know, if... if, uh depending on how that election goes, I think a lot of people will probably be two to three years into whoever is successful starting to question where they vote. Yeah, um, well, it, it's sort of... We're in a dark, cold place with politics around the world, mm. um, in Australia and, and the States, and, you know, there's... there's there, you know, I, I think it's pretty pretty concerning what's going on. Mm. We could we could talk quite a sure. bit about how that is, but I'll I'll say today at the moment, and um, I don't have uh, much time for him. Um, uh, I think it's terrible that someone who tells so many porkies uh, 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 and just goes on to the next one is is actually running for office. But I think mm-hmm. you know, you'll, if you want a prediction at the moment. Uh, I reckon there's every chance Trump's going to win. Yeah, I I, I agree. Mm. Um, watch his space. Mm. So, uh, choice, agri or military? You chose military. Yeah, chose the military. Went to the Royal Military College, Duntroon, mm-hmm. as my father had mm-hmm. um, thirty years prior. Um, I did civil engineering and graduated to the Royal Australian Engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a career for 13 years in the army in, in the engineers. And so military engineering involves civil engineering, you know, related activities. So mm-hmm. like roads, bridges, airfields, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. That, and so that, as part of your decision, I want to join the military because that's a good vehicle for me to, to get my engineering qualification. Or was it the other way around? You joined the military and then uh, decided to go down that path. No, it was I wanted to do engineering mm-hmm. and the military was a good way of doing that. So mm-hmm. you were paid to study yep. and, you know, you, you know, you know, you sort of great, great engineering mm-hmm. facilities at Duntroon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I did that. But I enjoyed the military as well. Mm-hmm. So I you know, was trained as a combat engineer. So apart from those things that I said to you before, then we we're involved in, you know, in the, in the engineers, involved in, you know, mine warfare, booby traps, mm-hmm. um, chemical warfare, um you know, um, all, all those sort of things that mm-hmm. involve involved in military engineering, mm-hmm. demolitions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sadly, some of our casualties in Afghanistan were people from one of my... Right. ..from the last unit I was involved in, two mm-hmm. combat engineer regiment lost people in, in Afghanistan okay. delousing these um, IEDs, yes, improvised yeah. explosive devices. Yeah, yeah. But that's what engineers do, mm-hmm. yeah. And so what uh, motivated you to eventually exit? Oh, uh, it was about... Um, family life so I mm-hmm. married Lisa um, along the way and wanted to settle down in Brisbane didn't want to keep moving around I'd had that experience as a child where I'd been moved around different right. schools yeah uh, so um, there was that I also wanted a career in business mm-hmm. um, I, frankly I was probably a bit frustrated with um, the military system mm-hmm. which is yes you it's 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 t- there's two bits to it in, in terms of progression in the military a there's got to be ability and you're you're rated. You do you know there's a performance appraisal every mm-hmm. year. You're mm-hmm. always being you know, appraised, rated, examined, mm-hmm. scrutinised in the military. So there was that, and the other aspect of it is time and rank. Mm-hmm. So even though I was doing quite well in terms of my appraisals, mm-hmm. um, didn't matter. You still had sure. a minimum time yeah. that you had to spend in each rank. Mm-hmm. And I thought 
mm. you know, I wanted like I'd like to do some other more senior things more quickly. So right. I, I wanted a career in business. Business mm-hmm. interested me. Mm-hmm. And so I did a, an MBA that I mm-hmm. mentioned before in finance at UQ. Right. And uh, I meet with a lot of uh, very senior military personnel who are looking to transition into a civilian corporate life. Uh, what was your expectation prior to leaving the military as to the sort of opportunities that would make themselves available to you? And then what did you experience when you actually hit the ground? Okay, well, it was... I was getting out during the recession that we had to have um, in the, the in the early 90s. So, mm-hmm. so in 1993, I just finished my MBA and that was my final year in the military and I basically was there just you know, scouring the papers for ads, visiting you know, firms like yours, mm-hmm. um, and there was nothing there really. Mm. It was very difficult. And I think back then people had probably uh, uh, preconceived notions of of the military. I mm-hmm. think in what's happened since, and there's a bit of a caveat here we could come back to later on um, in terms of my involvement with defence, a thing called defence in business, which mm-hmm. is sort of my, uh, I suppose, extracurricular okay. you know, um, uh, pro bono work. Yeah. Um, there are some aspects there. But, yeah, I think it was hard to get out of the military back back then. Um, what finally happened was I did uh, see an ad for a, U, a UK-based management consulting firm this called PA Consulting. Yeah. yeah. So I I saw that ad and I applied for it, and what I didn't know, but luckily for me, was that one of the partners in Brisbane had a son who'd been involved in a thing called the Ready Reserve in the army, and okay. he was quite positive towards the military, mm-hmm. and so basically I got. Yeah, I got mm-hmm. a, I got an interview. Right. Thing. So okay. I ended up going through a very extensive process and getting the job. Right. As a, as a management consultant, which and, I was involved in for two years. And yeah. what sort of things were you consulting in? Uh, look, I was involved in very big projects um, uh, in terms of performance improvement with, mm-hmm. say, BHP Coal okay. at the yep. Mowra Coal Mine in mm-hmm. maintenance. Mm-hmm. I was involved in a very big project with the Hydroelectric Commission down in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Uh, also worked in. Um, uh, in performance improvement with the field workforce in Telstra okay. uh, around southeast Queensland, which was really really interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so those were those were the sort of the jobs in yeah. in, the, in the in the mid nineties. Right. Mid Yeah. And so uh, you were applying your engineering qualifications, engineering, and your MBA, MBA, just sort of organisational skills, planning. But what about uh, the implicit skills that you learn as an officer in the army? Yeah. Um, you know, for people who are listening, perhaps who are thinking about exiting the military and moving into um, commercial careers, you know, what were some of the skills that you think that you learned in the military that perhaps gave you a, an advantage over people who hadn't had that experience? I think the, I think the big things are that are sort of drilled into you, it's sort of being well organised, you know, the self-discipline, mm-hmm. um, you know, having a plan. I mean, what I've always been able to do is I'll go into a situation, and I enjoy this, mm-hmm. a situation of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. There's, there's all this stuff going on, mm-hmm. and everyone's going, well, what should we do? Mm-hmm. And one of my skills has been going, right, let's just work this out. Let's come up with a plan. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it, it's that sort of ability to then, you know, to, to, to think that through, take people on a bit of a journey and actually come up with a plan. It, it you know, that that's... I think fairly significant. It's another way I often look about it. Look, look at it is that um, it's like people that sometimes people have bogged the four-wheel drive in the creek line. Yeah. And you can't, they can't go back. They can't go forward. But you got to get it out. You got to get it out of the swamp. Sure. <laughs> first, back to dry land. Yeah. So it's been a, a skill of mine. And I do think, you yeah. think that that is something you specifically specifically learnt from being in the military, or is that more just yeah. uh, part of your genetic makeup? A- a- absolutely. You know. You know, look, the thing is about the military training is that they do take um, generally kids mm-hmm. who, you know, are pretty sort of, I suppose, um, in some cases, quite doughy, if right. I use that term, and they, they really, you know, really give them, give them a framework and mould them and right. they, can, they become people who, who, who uh, like to take decisions. I mean, if I may say so, one of the things that appalls me about our political class now is people who don't make decisions, who faff around, 
and every day they faff around there's jobs mm. um, not being created for mm-hmm. Australians mm-hmm. and we see it all the time mm-hmm. I mean thing about the military is make decisions get on with it mm-hmm. you know and and that's one of the things I was criticized about mm-hmm. um, particularly these days we seem to reward mm-hmm. inaction mm. because then we don't offend anybody mm-hmm. yeah I must admit uh, you know I've never personally fancied a uh, a career in politics, but I imagine that when you're in these situations, there would be so many stakeholders with so many different agendas that it would be very easy to just get paralysis by analysis. Oh, absolutely, um, Richard. Yeah. You can't, and, and the point is you, you, you can only, in many times, there are no uh, right or wrong answers. Mm-hmm. There are you know, half right, half mm-hmm. wrong, all that, that sort of thing. Yeah. But see, going back to the military, you know, one of the things that I'll give you an example of the exercise they put you through is that, that, that um, it's a scenario where you're advancing up a mountainous road mm-hmm. and um, you come around a corner and there's refugees and all this sort of stuff and, and then there's, a, there's, there's you know, these vehicles blocking the road. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do? Mm. Well, the answer is you push them over the cliff. Right. Not with people in them. No, no, sure. <laughs> but you, you do, you just, you know, or there's some piece of military hardware. Right. You push it over the cliff to keep going. You right. Just, you, know, it, you know, I've left a bit out of this scenario, obviously, <laughs> but that, that's the sort of thing. You've got, right. Yeah. And so... You've got to have a plan and you've got to get it done. Right. Yeah. And so just to, to sort of focus on that just for a moment because you brought that up. So in, in the military when they're doing that training, is that not a logical um, first consideration is that, is that something that needs to be learnt? Um, you're, you're, you're assessing scenarios because it seems that I that think, could be a fairly obvious... Well, it, it, it sounds obvious, but you'd be amazed by how... And particularly when it's presented um, to people, um, how they have difficulties with it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to see a very powerful film, I can't, I'm just trying, I can't remember the name of the film. It's with Helen Mirren. It's... Um, uh, it, it was in the cinemas in the last, about six months ago, and okay. it's about um, a drone strike in Kenya. Right. Okay. And it involves these incredible moral decisions mm-hmm. about they've got a, a terrorist. Basically, they've identified there's a terrorist there, um, in, incredibly highly ranked terrorist who's mm-hmm. been responsible for so many mm-hmm. uh, terrorist incidents, killing you know, you know mm-hmm. huge numbers of people. The trouble is there's a family, a little girl nearby. Mm. Collateral damage. And yeah, and if they if they if they drop the bomb from the drone, mm-hmm. the little girl's going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's that moral sort of dilemma. Mm. Mm. Um, and I guess the question is, what what was the right thing to to do? Sure. Yeah. And I suppose and, whatever decision you make, mm. whether you're in that situation, you're in politics, you're always going to get hung out to dry because you know not everybody's going to agree with you. Mm. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think uh, it must be really quite amazing to be facing those kind of decisions on well, almost a daily basis. Which well, I more, guess well, more st- well, well, more straightforward one, which um, you know was was very controversial, and it shouldn't have been, but it was con- it was the issue of uh, downsizing the state public service. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it was fairly clear cut. You know, mm-hmm. we've got there's a at the time, there were approximately 200,000 public servants in Queensland. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a yawning budget deficit. Um, we made the decision to downsize by about 15,000, so 7.5%. Now, compared to other corporate you know, exercises, it's in the, in the lower range of sure. what can go on. Yep. Why was that important? Well, uh, you've got, you got 15,000 people and their families who would be affected mm-hmm. compared to... 4.2, whatever it is, million Queenslanders mm-hmm. who are ultimately affected by, you know, um, you know, higher taxes and charges and imposts on their life that all mm-hmm. flow through to them, ultimately impact on mm-hmm. them and their prospects for mm-hmm. employment, you know. So, you know, that was t- tough, mm. um, but was the right decision. Mm-hmm. I'll still say that today. Mm. Had, had to be done. And, um, uh, again, the sad thing about politics and government in Australia today is we're ducking those sort of issues mm-hmm. and we can have a crop of politicians telling people it's okay you know we can keep going and shouldn't have done it but the music will mm-hmm. the music will stop mm-hmm. and uh, we saw uh, in the weekend pages of the Australian um, I think it was uh, Ken Henry um, it was, was warning Australia about what actually happens if we don't 
sort out the budget problems at federal and in some cases state level. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, but you know when you're uh, working so hard to be re-elected and uh, trying to appease as many people as possible in order to get the vote, uh, tough decisions get pushed back to the... Well, well I do, yeah. um, and sadly the people who are driving that are the media mm. um, because they don't serve us well at the moment in this country no. about the exploration, about you know the, the, the pros and cons. The people who do the best job, mm -hmm. and this is interesting perhaps... Um, the people who, who, who've seen various conservative politicians are getting stuck into the ABC. The people who do the best job, of course, are the ABC, unless mm -hmm. they canvas mm -hmm. issues generally, mm. um, whereas the commercial TV stations have just given up any pretense of mm. grown-up coverage of you know these important issues in, mm -hmm. in government and politics. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, uh, watching the Today Show maybe 10 years ago, that was actually quite an insightful show yeah. where they had meaningful dialogue watching the today show now it's just it's a circus no it's um, terrible and uh you know that on the fridays they get the, uh, uh christopher pine on and you know and that basically these politicians are playing for laughs and um oh, I, I find it a it's a terribly sad situation let's get back to uh you worked for the consulting firm for a couple of years yep. And then you uh, went and joined Grainco. Yep, so I was headhunted out of um, PA. Yeah. And I went into Grainco um, and I was with them for six years. So mm -hmm. I started uh, sort of in, the, I suppose, the senior middle management ranks. Mm -hmm. And I was the business development manager for the ports division. My mm -hmm. job was to try and find other commodities other than grain to... Right. Uh, to go across the conveyor belts and the sh okay. shipping, the you know shiploading facilities that Grain Co had, uh, and I progressed through the company. I became general manager, business mm -hmm. development a few years later. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly, that's about you know it's good to have mentors. Mm -hmm. So along the way, I've had some mentors. So mm -hmm. I had a, a mentor who was the CEO who you know, gave me a leg up. Or, you know, I got, uh, and and to, he saw you know this guy can do it. So. At a fairly young age, I became GM of business development. And then a couple of years later, I became GM of operations. So mm -hmm. that was my last 12 months in the company doing, mm -hmm. doing that job. So I was running all the silos, the port facilities in mm -hmm. Queensland. Mm -hmm. Built a big grain terminal down in Port Melbourne along the way, okay. which I'm quite proud of. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, I suppose just, it was sort of uh, looking at business opportunities, um, business cases, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, board submissions, mm -hmm. you know, then delivering, making it happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was a yeah, very, very busy time. And so what uh, sparked the uh, the desire then to get into a, a political life? Well, there was a bit, there was something happened before that. So what, what happened was, ironically, I got a bit frustrated with organisational politics mm -hmm. and took the decision to, to leave Grain Co and set up my own consulting mm -hmm. um, business which I did um, in 2001. So I spent, as it turned out, about two years running this little consulting firm. And I was consulting in the field of bulk logistics. So mm -hmm. I was talking, you know, I had customers in the coal mining industry. Based in still in industry, Brisbane? Based in Brisbane, but just roaming all around Australia. I'd okay. go anywhere. So yeah. that was a lot of, lot of fun and very lucrative. Mm -hmm. And then along the way, the, what happened was uh, I was out to dinner one night with... Um, my brother and sister-in-law, and my brother-in-law was involved in the Liberal Party in Queensland, casually mentioned that the Liberal Party were looking for a candidate for Lord, the Lord Merrilty, and I went, yeah, I could do that. Um, well, actually, my wife went, you could do that. All so right. to her eternal regret, she said she spoke first. So, yeah, I, I put my hand up to be Lord Mayor of Brisbane because I felt um, that the administration wasn't doing enough on... The infrastructure front. Yeah. You know, we needed to build some mm -hmm. more roads, mm -hmm. the tunnels, bridges, you know, better buses, etc. So that's why I wanted to, to mm -hmm. go into politics. It was basically to serve. Mm -hmm. yeah. I remember uh, the Brisbane Club closing down uh, for the floods. And on the day it opened, they had a, uh, a lunch and you were the guest speaker. Uh, do you remember that? Uh, yes, vaguely. Uh, yes, and, I, I, sitting in the room, uh, um, just the absolute um, 
unanimous um, appreciation for the work that you were doing uh, was, I, mean, I found it overwhelming. I mean, it was, I hadn't sat in a situation like that before. It must have felt incredibly rewarding um, to know that the work that you were doing was being so appreciated. Oh, look, I, I suppose, yes, people, people did acknowledge that. And uh, I, um, it's off, yeah, I, I suppose just did what I had to do. And mm. all the training and the things I'd done mm. sort of came together. Mm. Um, it's interesting that, that um, again, if I just sort of again have another shot of the media, I mean, that's just been completely airbrushed mm -hmm. out. It just didn't happen, according to the people who set the agenda mm -hmm. um, in... TV and radio news in Brisbane, mm -hmm. gone. Right. Disappeared. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know about it. Uh, what, what, um, uh, I mean, the legacy, I imagine, will catch up again at some point. But in, in the meantime, you know, with our, our, the political situation currently, there's no advantage to them to, to pay credence to that. So I imagine that's mm. a, a lot of the reason why. Well, just on the floods, I mean, you know, there was, I suppose, um, a background that, oh, as mayor, we we'd actually done a fair bit of work on suburban creek flooding, and we're trying to warn people that yeah yeah there's been a drought yeah there's a drought, mm. but this city can flood again one day, mm -hmm. and the media thought that that was just hilarious, um, and. Uh, our efforts to actually publicise the need for flood preparedness were, were you know, ignored or, or ridiculed. Mm -hmm. um, that's a matter of the public record. Um, going to late 2010, I think the penny started to drop for some people because the, the weather conditions had changed and did, did, we did try and warn people that, you know, again, the city could flood. Um, and sadly it did, mm. but once that had sort of happened, the great thing was that as a council we'd done a lot of work on, on um, um, you know, preparedness and, and, and the, the planning for you know, natural disasters and the like. So we had a good team of people. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest failure during that entire period was a salutary one, and you know, if you want to know some of those lessons, it's about IT, you know, despite all the efforts to set up an IT platform or, or, or a, a web platform for flood information mm -hmm. that should be able to handle a load in an emergency, it fell over. Mm. Okay, so think census. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm a big IT fan, but mm -hmm. I'm a huge IT sceptic. And mm -hmm. when, when IT managers and IT vendors tell me that something will work, I never believe them. In fact, I'm usually really tough on them. Mm -hmm. And I'd say to any manager listening, don't ever believe them mm. and do everything you can in terms of due diligence to, to test it because chances are what you've been told isn't right when it mm -hmm. comes to these sort of issues. So mm. It's it's because the technology, I suppose, is still new. Mm. But that's one of my little life lessons in managerial sure. positions in in, in, in in Australian business in 26, 2016. It's, yeah, IT can really... Bring you undone. Oh, yeah, look at you yeah, know, the uh, payroll scandal with uh, Queensland Health. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I suppose for a lot of uh, people, IT is a bit of a voodoo black box and you, you have to trust the, the person that's telling you is telling you the truth because it's hard to, um, uh, mm. to really uh, know otherwise. Yeah, I'm afraid, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid it is that sort of thing, but I suppose yeah. it's calling in anybody you can for, for sort of third party, mm -hmm. you know, sort of proofing, grilling, mm. whatever. In the lead-up to G20, myself, um, Tim Nichols, the Treasurer, and Deputy Premier Sini, mm -hmm. we got um, each of the state government departments mm -hmm. and uh, also the uh, government-owned corporations, we had this huge session where we brought these people in for, for grilling mm -hmm. about what their preparations had been on the IT security front. Mm -hmm. So we brought them, you know, we knew that they knew, the fact that they knew they were going to have to sit down and, right. you know, be exposed to that, sure. that focused people's minds. And we found out stuff and we tried to, we, we had people trying to break into and get into okay. facilities and All things right. like that, con yeah. control rooms and the like. We mm -hmm. did find holes that were mm -hmm. then plugged. So, you know, again, that's one of my little, that is a sort of a little 
um, I suppose, um, thought for people in this area just mm. to really, you know, test that vulnerability. I mean, you know, uh, think about that, that um, what was it, Mad Mad Ashley, Mad the Ashley oh, Madison sure. scandal. I mean, yeah. their whole business model was built on this, this thing, on discretion, mm. and they blew the, the lid off it for, mm. their, for their clients. Although I listened to a podcast uh, with the guy who founded Norton, the antivirus software, who has had a wild and crazy life since then. I don't I'll know bet, if he, yeah. uh, he ended up living in South America and he was accused of murdering someone and he had to flee the country. And, and anyway, so, and he's a specialist now in, um, uh, in this area. And apparently the Ashley Madison thing was a senior female executive uh, who was disgruntled at work. So she um, uh, published all of their uh, database. Um, so it wasn't an external hacker. It was an inside job. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, now, whether that's, uh, I can't say for certain that's true, but he was the person that was brought in to investigate it. <coughs> and so, um, and just as a bit of an aside, tell me about uh, you being selected as one of the 25 mayors across the world um, for the 2010 World Mayor Prize. I mean, that's a. Uh, I don't I mean, know about you, that. When you think about how no, many mayors there yeah, must be in the world, no, far out. No, no, I really don't have anything to say about that. It's, all, it's always been a mystery to me. <laughs> right. Seriously, okay. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And so, um, uh, how did things unfold from then? Obviously, uh, led Lord Mayor, led to Premier of Queensland. Um, what was your thinking process uh, in terms of? for your own career and, and so on in making that choice? To, to go to state? Yeah. Oh, well, it wasn't about career. See, again, uh, well, not really again, I've probably said this yet. I mean, I went into uh, politics to serve, to actually deliver outcomes. Mm -hmm. And um, more bluntly, I went into politics to do a job, not because I needed a job. And uh, uh, politics saw um, 13 years of very, very hard work mm -hmm. and certainly not uh, the financial rewards that I got in the private sector, mm -hmm. okay? So, um, you know, if, you, if, if anyone listening, you know, if you're going to go into it, you're certainly not going to make the money you're making in the private sector. Um, but I went in to do a job. And so what happened was in the aftermath of the floods and uh, the cyclone, uh, cyclone Yasi, mm -hmm. I just looked at the situation that was developing and... I saw very clearly that uh, the then Premier Anna Blythe was going to call an early election. Mm -hmm. That was clear as anything off the back of this huge popularity lift and uh, our side of politics was going to lose and I thought that was bad for Queensland. Mm -hmm. And I gave up, if you like, the security and you know the, the, the prominence and the, 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 the cachet of being Lord Mayor of Brisbane mm -hmm. to ensure that that didn't happen, that mm -hmm. she didn't win because they were such a fundamentally bad government um, and uh, you know we were elected to 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 fix things up mm -hmm. and we set to to fix things up that, that was what it was about so that was the decision mm -hmm. and so I've um, you know I just I just stressed always it look at the things that the way that I conducted myself they weren't you know we made we made tough decisions because they were important and correct decisions mm -hmm. um, not because we thought they were politically popular. I often used to say to journalists, well, do you think we'd be doing this if it wasn't necessary? I mm -hmm. mean, we know, we're not mm. silly, mm. we know that it's unpopular, sure. but it has to be done for these reasons. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. We were trying to really get the economy of the state going mm -hmm. because we saw that the mining boom was over. Mm -hmm. We knew that there'd be a problem. Um, we were trying to sort out the state's finances so that it was the best place to raise your family, the best place to, to set up and run a business because the cost and charges and red tape was, was mm -hmm. minimal. Mm -hmm. um, that, that was the agenda and mm -hmm. that's why I went and did it. Mm. And what about from uh, a personal leadership perspective, uh, you'd had your training in the military, you'd done your engineering qualifications and MBA, and then as you're, you moved your career into private sector and then into um, uh, your political roles, what, what, when you looked at yourself and looked at the areas that needed addressing in terms of building your skill set, you know, what, what were some of the things that you found fundamentally were different about leading within you know, a political environment versus a commercial environment? Oh, gee whiz. There's, I suppose there's a whole range of things that are, that are different there. Um, 
but in some ways not so not so different. I think I think the thing is that in in politics, you've got multiple stakeholders. There's 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 it's um it, it's like the you can imagine the political figure and you can imagine a diagram with forces pulling them. Mm-hmm against their sure. body. You can yeah. imagine this diagram. This little figure there and then there's <laughs> on so, the rack. Exactly. So yeah. there's there's the, the obviously the immediate political colleagues who've got to be supporting what you're doing. There's yeah. the people in the party that, that you were uh, selected by that mm-hmm. you've got to be happy. Um, in Queensland it's really tricky because you then have in terms of the electorate itself, mm-hmm. you've got a tale of what I'd call three Queenslands. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? Well, there is inner city out to 5K, Brisbane, Queensland. Yeah. Particular, highly educated in a relative sense, you know, very well-to-do, mm-hmm. certain worldview. Then you have from 5K out to the periphery of the greater Brisbane area, mm-hmm. um, what people would have called Howard's Battlers, perhaps. Yeah. Different different viewers of, of things mm-hmm. totally and have been going backwards in terms of their um, their incomes in the last few years and that's why they're cranky. And then you've got rural and regional Queensland who have another view of the world sure. as well and usually their view is that they have been neglected. Yeah. Uh, that's just been, you know, that's that, that's just a sort of a, that's carved in tablets mm-hmm. of stone that, we, that, that anybody from Brisbane always neglects them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have an issue as... You know, one-dimensional is daylight saving, which is really just clearly a demonstration of, you know, all of these disparate views and needing to appease different stakeholders. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a good example. Another one would be uh, crocodiles and bats. So crocodiles in, in rivers in, in Cairns, say the Barren River, um, the, the view of, if I dare I say it, local mothers would generally be we don't want these dangerous animals there taking mm-hmm. out who, who might take our children. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas the mums in my electorate of Ashgrove, um, my former electorate would probably have the view that well, that's terrible. They're beautiful animals, yeah. and that's part of they're part of the, you know, the the yeah. ecosystem. It's same with this rather bizarre debate we have these days about sharks and shark attacks and beaches. Yeah. Um, so the, then there's another level of stakeholders. You've got the the public sector. You've got the interest groups. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you've got the influence of social media, um, and then there's the media. So you, get, you know, the the political figure is really being pulled all sorts of directions, and the challenge is to actually uh, to decide a, a course mm-hmm. uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, I guess my sort of view is that it, it's just got incredibly difficult for all politicians today. Um, and it is to do with social media, it's to do with mm-hmm. the way the media are treating the issues and it's an attitude in the community. So, you know, I don't think that, um, um, that, 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 that the Prime Ministers we've, all, we've had in the last few years have all been duds, yet they're presented as all being duds. Yeah. Okay, and notice I didn't say anything about names or sure. political parties. Uh, we've had a number of um, governments at state level mm-hmm. that have just only done one term and bam, they're out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yours truly is, um, is one example. But there's, you know, Northern Territory, mm-hmm. Victoria, um, New South Wales, there's an election next weekend. I know they're now second term, but I think they'd have real problems. Mm-hmm. So it, the volatility of the whole se- scene's changed here. Yeah, I think the social media situation, you know, you, you have politicians who's out during the day and they make a gaffe. They they say one sentence incorrectly, or you know they eat their sandwich incorrectly, or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, it's a meme on Facebook, and then it, the um, this, uh, the project of making a big joke out of it. I mean, there's no possibility of uh, being treated seriously when you um, are just ridiculed for things that everyday people would just you know not even get a second glance at. Um, yeah, and so in that environment, you know, you're reading the paper each day, and you're copying all of this uh, uh, hostility and negativity. How do you um, remain optimistic and uh, and keep uh, energised about wanting to do the work? Well, it is pretty difficult. Uh, by the way, before I just answer that, just to bring back the the relevance of some of that to, though, to other people who might be listening. I mm-hmm. mean, 
these forces are also starting to impact on business people too. Absolutely. I mean, social media, as we know, um, can hurt a business very, very quickly now, mm-hmm. and, and people need to really have their act together. You know, so senior people in business need to be be thinking of these things, um, and literally, if you're into risk management, you know, frameworks and planning, mm-hmm. you know, you need to think about how how could your business be damaged by someone running a campaign either true or false Mm -hmm. against you on Mm -hmm. on social media but yeah but going back to your question about um sort of uh how do you how do you sort of carry on in that environment well first thing for me was being physically fit Mm. so um it was just really important to stay fit um and so i was always a big one for 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 going running and and doing that stuff it helps clear the head Mm -hmm. and there's only one time you ever get to do that stuff it's first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. so i used to get up really early and I still keep fit but these days I don't have to get up quite the same unearthly hours I never enjoyed it Um, so yeah keeping fit and I think and and I I suppose you've just got to have the the sort of the the temperament for it Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Um, having said that the the pressures on all our political leaders now are you know if they're they're serious about their job Mm -hmm. they're under bucket loads of pressure Mm -hmm. I mean, look what look at look at look at photos of Obama. Oh sure. You know when he started and now, you know. Absolutely. Um, Turnbull has looked pretty bad on occasions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know he, he's 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 shown he's under great strain mm-hmm. on on occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know that I, I guess uh, it, it's just tough for anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than uh, not having to get up so early to exercise. Now that you're, you know, you've passed, you're moving into the next phase of your career, you know, how does it feel? You know, uh, I imagine in many respects, it must be quite exciting to be able to uh, have almost a greenfield start and, and build up, you know, a, a new range of responsibilities that you're quite excited about. Richard, it's absolutely liberating. I bet. <laughs> no, it is totally refreshing. It's yeah. just, uh, I, I can't express in... You know, probably clearly enough how fantastic it is. I mm-hmm. mean, just to be able to go and do mm-hmm. the things that I want to do, focus on the things I want to do, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and and really, really just sort of strike a strike a blow for myself and the people I'm working with. Sure. I, I guess that's the thing. It's just it's just great fun. But I imagine, even given that, looking back, uh, uh, no matter how tough and challenging it was. Uh, there must have been some tremendous rewards at seeing the outcomes that you were able to deliver. Um, honest answer is, <clears throat> in um, in um, my time at City Hall, lots of great mm-hmm. um, uh, things, um, a lot of cause for satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the big tunnel projects, the bridges, um, City Hall, the restoration. You know, the planting of two million trees, um, you know, homeless connect, which we which we set up to look out look after homeless people, all sorts of things. There, city hall was fun. Being premier was not fun right. um, because it was so. Um, well, it was just <clears throat> just everything we had to approach was just so mm. you know difficult and you know and you know invidious, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were things that were, were satisfying there as mm-hmm. well. But it was just a hard slog. Mm, it really I was. Bet. Yeah. Mm. And so looking into the future now, if we were sitting down and having this conversation in 10 years' time, what would you hope to be doing then? Uh, a bit difficult to say. Um, I would... Um, I'd hope that I was probably still involved in the businesses that uh, I've already mentioned. So mm-hmm. Arcana Capital, the, mm-hmm. the property game that might have evolved into different areas. I can't sort of uh, sort of probably uh, think of today. Mm-hmm. The, the robotics thing. Hopefully, that's going to be you know, a, a well-known brand in agricultural machinery circles and being sold in North America, mm-hmm. Europe, mm-hmm. South America. Uh, perhaps into into places like the Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what we want to do there. Mm-hmm. I particularly hope that's that's going very very well. Mm-hmm. Have you got room on your dance card for one or two further board roles if the right thing presented itself? Yeah, look, I do, and I was involved in in some other things which have dropped by the wayside. Mm-hmm. So um, there was there were some other things I was I, I did last year, and uh, you know, I haven't haven't continued. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um. I'm a person who 
likes interesting things. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know I, I do take on things as we go and I often talk to people, give them a bit of advice about their own businesses and, and okay. concepts they've got. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And last question before I let you go because I know you've probably got a very busy day. Um, uh, you've spoken about exercise, but what are the other things that you like to do uh, outside of work to uh, keep life enjoyable and keep the petrol tank full? <laughs> well, we used to go camping a heck of a lot um, on Morton Island uh, for driving. Used to go gold panning a, a fair bit as well. Haven't done a lot of that in in the last year. Right. Um, so you were doing that whilst you were working in politics, or oh, when, I, when I was in politics, when, okay. I, when I could get away, I'd go and do those sort of right. things. Okay. Um, mainly, it was spending time with the family. Sure. And and these days, it's just you know doing stuff with my wife, Lisa. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. we enjoy you know travelling. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, enjoy just going out and being together and uh, we enjoy going and seeing our friends and yeah. reconnecting because after 13 years of being in politics, I mean, it's a bit like being let out of jail, actually. <laughs> you know, you, you, you've been away and people can people people just can't get to you easily because sure. the diary's always full. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And your parents are in politics, you've been in politics, you've got two daughters. Would you uh, be uh, supporting or, uh, or advising against them uh, following in those footsteps? Quite supportive if um, if they want to get involved. Right. Uh, they've just got to know, you know, they've just got to know mm-hmm. how how tough it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they want to get in and, and serve the community, we mm-hmm. need good people. Mm-hmm. Now, what appalls me is the people who are in the game on in all the parties. Mm-hmm. They just seem to think that it's it is a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we need people who want to do mm-hmm. stuff, get mm-hmm. stuff done. So if my Kids want to do that, they, absolutely. But they've mm-hmm. got to know that it's it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Well, Campbell, I really appreciate your time. It's been an excellent conversation. Uh, in the show notes to the podcast, we'll put links to the three businesses you're involved in. And uh, have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks, Richard. Well, I hope that whatever your politics are, you enjoyed that conversation with Campbell. I must say personally that I am completely non-political in my life. I don't have any preferential leanings towards any party. But as a man, Campbell strikes me as somebody who has great intentions and likes to live a life of service. So I look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.